0: welcome to Energy Sense, the podcast that explores the most fascinating trends, news, and ideas in the energy industry. My name is Chris Rawlings, Chief Energy Officer here at Bauer Bird Energy, and today my guest is Eric Conner, Manager for Project Construction at Dominion Energy here in Virginia. Eric has most recently been in charge of a large battery storage, utility-scale battery storage project here in Virginia. How are you doing, Eric? Great. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Battery storage is a big discussion, particularly partnering with renewable energy, solar, uh, wind, which a lot of that is obviously going on here in Virginia. How did you get into the energy industry? What's what's your background?
1: Yeah, so I grew up uh, in central Missouri. I got a math degree and realized I didn't want to be a high school math teacher. So I went on to parlay that into a structural engineering degree, professional engineer by, by trade haven't stamped anything in quite some time, Uh, but that led me pretty quickly into Floor was a large EPC firm that does international work. Uh, My father and grandfather had worked for that company, and that was uh, an internship uh, during my college years that got me into Floor. And then I just stayed with them. My interview at that time was, hey, can you start full time Monday? I said, yeah. So we go down there and spent 15 years at Floor. Uh, and building primarily in the power industry, part of the business there and got to know Dominion through some of the large combined cycle projects that they did in the early 10s and the 20 teens uh, at Bear Garden. Uh, we didn't do Warren County, but we did Brunswick, Greensville County. So those are the work courses in the Dominion fleet now. And it was right at the end of the Greensville County project in 2018 that I made the transition over to Dominion. So jump from the EPC side to the owner side, and the grass has been pretty green.
0: <laughs> awesome, that's a that's a good background. I mean, it's it's hard to find people that are that technical on the PE side, but can also run construction projects. I know that for myself yeah. uh, in this business. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this battery storage project here in Virginia. I know the EIA uh, recently came out with a report. There was about forty six hundred megawatts of battery storage, uh, utility scale battery storage deployed throughout the U.S. at the end of twenty twenty one. Uh, They're expecting to see that increase by another 10 gigawatts uh, in 2023. Uh, 60% of that is normally tied to solar. So tell us about the project here in Virginia. The Grid Transformation Security Act that was passed in 2018, which paralleled right with the
1: time I joined Dominion, allowed Dominion to build up to 30 megawatts of energy storage. So not a business segment that we had. Uh, So me and a fellow business development guy kind of got tasked with standing this up, looking at different facilities in the existing Dominion footprint that we could put energy storage And so we found a project that was 12 megawatts, which would be, like you mentioned in the opening there, the largest utility scale project for the company and in the state of Virginia at the time. Uh, So we're going on since then to do larger projects, but that is the one that went into service earlier this year. We selected the Scott One solar facility, which, which was an existing 17 megawatt solar site. So we had additional footprint at that site. It's in Palatine County, so southwest of Richmond here. So it's easy to get to a nice showpiece for the company to take people and other counties and jurisdictional officers to to kind of showcase what energy storage is, how it looks on a solar site and how they might involve it and bring that to a county outside of Palatine and other parts of the state.
0: So these uh, battery storage projects are mainly in partnership with renewable energy solar projects to obviously get rid of the intermittency from the... The solar. Is that correct? Or are they also there to help stabilize the grid and be used as a resource in in that manner to be used during peak hours? Yeah, you hit it. So the solar and
1: large offshore wind that we have are renewable resources, of course, but they're intermittent and they don't always produce even at the same rate. If it's cloudy day or if the wind dies down and the grid demand is still there. And so the batteries start to come into the picture because it can support that load demand whatever the grid needs trying to do it at the solar facility because we can use renewable energy to charge the batteries and then discharge to the grid but the solar can operate independently the batteries could operate independently so we have projects where we're doing solar plus storage from the initial outset based on all the lessons we learned from that pilot and we also have standalone battery storage that's going into certain key locations within our network to keep the grid stable as you mentioned And when i started with the large combined cycles virginia used to be a large importer of power i think we're top five ten years ago so by building those combined cycle plants we've satisfied our own need and now we're really looking at solving the problem of how do we keep the grid reliable and stable when you look at what's in the interconnect queue for new energy generation assets probably a quarter of it is renewable And so that's great on the surface, but it causes a large concern for our company and how we're going to keep the grid up and running, so that the lights can come on when you hit switch.
0: Yeah, because I mean, we we talked about energy resiliency and energy security um, on the panel discussion uh, a couple months ago, and how important that is. Obviously, everybody wants to be clean, renewable, all these good things, but we have to have our lights on, and that's you know got to be mission ready, as I'd say in, in the military. So the battery storage that is connected to the utility scale solar to help offset that intermittency, I would assume that that's long duration battery storage and the other battery storage projects that are the smaller projects that you talk about that are not necessarily connected to the solar that are there more to help stabilize the grid from a peak demand asset. Is that more short duration battery storage?
1: Yeah, so let me clarify. The 30 megawatts that we currently have approved,
0: 12 megawatts
1: was this utility scale. We also had two projects on the transmission distribution side that are two megawatt hour systems. So the battery we had at Scott was a four-hour system. Uh, there are two smaller two megawatt, two-hour systems. So four megawatt hours total, two times two is, is how you do the math. And those are also in operation today, but solving different problems. So while we at Scott were solving a peak shifting where we capture that unused energy during the middle of the day, discharge it at night or maybe even the next morning when everyone's getting ready for work, is what we're trying to solve at that site while we look at what the transmission distribution guys were doing is trying to solve the problem of maybe an inverter that's overloaded or back feed onto a solar facility facility. Also, problems that wreak havoc on the grid, but different use case calls for a different solution. Batteries are very nimble and flexible in that regard. The four-hour battery systems are really where the industry is today, primarily initially led by the EV market. But as utility takes takes off, we're start seeing a lot more research and development efforts and companies pop up that are starting to push the envelope of that four-hour system into You know, the term you might hear is seasonal storage, where you can store
0: something in the summer and release it in the fall. So let's talk about some of the actual construction. What was the time frame of the project and and some of the key steps in the project that are worth noting?
1: Like all of our projects at Dominion that are regulated, we have to go through the State Corporation Commission for approval prior to executing or breaking ground on anything. There's air permitting and land permitting that we have to go through. So once we get through all those initial development hurdles, I'll call uh, and actually mobilized to the field. And the longest lead item from a construction of the batteries is really the procurement of the batteries themselves. Primarily manufactured uh, overseas. Uh, China and South Korea is really where we're looking right now. Although there are new players in the space that are looking at domestic supply, which will help with supply chain constraints that we see kind of across all industries. From an SEC approval standpoint, which is, uh, again, that and the air permit is the regulatory hurdle, about nine months it takes to do the front end development, get through that process. Uh, In the meantime, we might be ordering some long lead item procurement activities so that they can support the actual civil site construction. So we'll break ground, clear trees if we need to in the case of the Scott One facility, it was an existing solar. So we had the footprint available, which is why that was an appealing site to us. We didn't have to do much earthwork, if any. And taking those uh, products and materials, getting them staged for construction to begin, you're looking at less than 12 months from boots on the ground to turnover and commissioning, if all goes well. And so the Scott One facility fell within that timeline. Most of them are probably going to be, depending on size, Will be following that similar timeline. So you're looking at about a one-to-one ratio of the time to get batteries from manufacturer to actually on-site, get them installed. A lot of these designs are called modular designs, so they're more plug-and-play. And a lot of them now, the industry's starting to go even more so where they're pre-fabbed in a enclosure design. And then you literally commission that at the factory, you ship it overseas, you set them all down, daisy chain them together, and then recommission to make sure everything's still operating as planned. And so it's, it's a really uh, intense, heavy intense on the electrical side, but outside of prepping the ground and getting the foundations done, it's a pretty seamless installation compared to like some of the combined cycle jobs that I'm accustomed to.
0: It sounds like the actual construction and commissioning of this project is... I would dare to say a little bit easier than some other, you know, harder projects where you have multiple pieces moving around. I think you spoke to that a little bit. Was there anything that you ran into that was kind of unexpected or maybe some lessons learned that you're kind of taking forward? Yeah,
1: being that this was the first project for Dominion, there's a lot of lessons learned. And the key is that we don't relearn the same lesson, but the providers and the suppliers are changing. So they're each going to have their own nuances and each project has its own challenges challenges. But going through the process of a retrofit is challenging in and of itself. And what we found at the Scott facility is that some of the existing equipment that we thought we could tie into on the surface ended up being problematic. And we had to switch out some of those components that were unplanned. But when you're going into a greenfield site, you've got a blank canvas and a design that starts from initiation through completion. It should be a lot less seamless and we're, we've we yet to see that we're in the process of doing it now. And again, I think, you know, supply chain hurdles aren't going away regardless of what type of project it is. So that's always going to be a challenge. Finding skilled labor to install these that's either local or otherwise is a challenge that's facing the construction industry in general and hurdles that we have to overcome as an execution team.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you're running into some of the same issues that people all across the board that are involved in the design and building of infrastructure going through right now most certainly so what's the life expectancy of these systems i mean obviously when you uh, make your proposals to the sec they get budgeting set aside you have life cycle cost analysis and all that so what what are we looking at here for these four-hour and two-hour battery storage projects
1: so we run a pro forma early on and it includes the maintenance and operation upkeep of the system, because as you use a battery, just like the uh, batteries in your TV remote, at some point they reach the end of your useful life. And a lot of it's driven on how often you cycle. So we talked about the use case for energy storage at Scott being kind of a one time per day. Catch, capture it in the middle of the day, discharge it at night. And that's the sweet spot for this design. So if we start using it as a company to solve other grid problems, which we may, that's just understanding it's going to potentially degrade the system up faster than it would otherwise. But from a performer standpoint, we are now as an industry seeing batteries at 20 year, I'd say minimum book life. I've seen performers out to 25 and 30 years, but for the purposes of what Dominion does, we still use that 20-year life as the expectancy for best systems.
0: And that 20-year life is where it reaches the threshold of efficiency for using. It doesn't just turn off, right? That's
1: right. That's right. And so anytime you take energy that could have been put right on the grid, but we're putting it in a battery, there are some round-trip efficiency losses just through that system. They're not significant, but enough that we pay attention to. But then, as you pointed out, the overall what we call degradation of the system. In 10 years, it's not going to produce the same output and storage capacity that it could from year one.
0: Yeah. It's similar with lighting and and lumens and all that. So we we know space, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, these are lithium ion batteries that we're talking about here. Obviously the price of lithium ion batteries has fallen 97% since 1991. So that's one way to look at it, but it's only fallen 12 to 14% over the last couple of years. So we're starting to see that decline phase out. From a cost perspective, it's different because we're in a regulated area. This is paid for by ratepayers and the way that that works here through the SEC. But from a commercial viability standpoint, what are your general thoughts on the cost, prohibitiveness or the cost effectiveness of battery storage at it- on yeah. the utility side.
1: Yeah, sure. I think renewable assets in general are maybe more expensive than initial CapEx costs, what it costs us to install initially on a dollar per kilowatt basis, then compared to our combined cycle plants, which is one of the most efficient forms of energy we can do. So Dominion kind of looks at it as a portfolio play, much, much like your financial advisor tells you, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Our energy independence and infrastructure needs to be the same way. And that's how we're kind of approaching it. So acts like the Virginia Clean Economy Act and some of the net zero goals that you're hearing utilities take on in the space are helping to bolster those performa and and the financial burden that comes with it. I would say that in general, the expectation was if you look at a solar PV panel curve, it had a cost decline that's probably reached its floor now. And we expected batteries to do the same as more and more people enter the space and more and more suppliers come in, it gets more competitive and just the supply demand ratio starts to balance out a little bit. Blame it on COVID, blame it on something else, but the actual cost declining on batteries hasn't happened yet. And we're still seeing new players in the space that I think will challenge that and help those performers improve for the benefit of the ratepayers. But, you know, your crystal ball is as clear as mine on that topic, probably.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act and some recent legislative moves will make it more advantageous to bring manufacturing back to the US to help with the supply chain issues and some of these other issues. That's a long-term bet. So we'll see how history will prove us right or wrong, whether that's going to work or not. But I think it's something to keep in mind. It's often an argument from one side or the other saying, oh, well, renewables don't work. They're intermittent. And then the other side saying, well, batteries are the golden key and the golden answer. I think there's challenges all across the board and there's a mixture of energy that's going to be involved throughout this transition, whether it's renewable energy, clean energy like nuclear, or even baseline loads with natural gas, which is a dirty word Uh, a lot of times in some conversations, depending on who you're talking to. So are you seeing any efficiencies in construction that are helping with the cost benefit?
1: Yeah, we are actually. The pilot project was more of a manual labor approach. So we took sales, that are kind of like, I equate this to like a filing cabinet. So the filing cabinet would be your whole energy storage system. Each drawer in that cabinet would be a module and each cell, each file within that cabinet would be a cell or a battery cell. And so we stack all of these cells up. They form the module. You put all these modules in the filing cabinet in the rack and that racks out. And what you end up with is a 52 foot shipping container that can be standard hauled over the road. What we had at the, Pilot project at Scott was 10 of those connexes that were not filled when they arrived. So that was work we had to do to take all of those cells, put them in the modules, to put in the best enclosures themselves. What we're seeing in the industry now is that more modular approach we talked about earlier. And all that is coming prefab. So it's cutting down significantly on the amount of time that you have to spend at site, the amount of labor hours required. And all that ultimately is going to help the overall cost of those projects.
0: So a lot of that quality control is being handled at the manufacturing level. And essentially, the risks are being reduced, maybe from a quality standpoint, but more so just the efficiency of actually getting it installed and commissioned. Both. I would say
1: both. Yeah. And to relate that to a gas turbine, which is uh, an aero derivative machine, which is literally an airplane engine that's pretty much out of the box produced and delivered to site. And then we hook up the balance of plant stuff to it. That's very similar to what we're seeing with the energy storage industry now.
0: Well, I love the aircraft reference having spent 10 years in the aviation industry uh, myself. (laughs) So that's neat. So recently, we saw the Tesla Megapack battery caught fire at the PG&E substation uh, just a few days ago. Any thoughts on that? Any? Uh, I know you're not an electrical engineer, uh, and you obviously weren't involved with this project. So there could be a plethora of different reasons why that happened. But any thoughts on that event?
1: Yeah, I don't have any facts on the root cause of those events. But you know, in general, if you Google battery storage fires, I think you're seeing about one a month around the world, not necessarily in the U.S. But to say it's unexpected is probably not shocking to people to say that we're doing things to advance the industry because battery energy storage is not a mature technology at all. Our corporate risk team and the way Dominion approaches safety is core and at the heart of these energy storage facilities that we own and operate, which is not in line with the current industry. And we hear that time and time from developers that are upset when we increase spacing between enclosures such that if we have an event, two things we don't want to do. We don't want to create a bomb, which is what you can do if you potentially have doors that are sealed and closed. So if it starts to burn, we want to have a controlled burn and we don't want it to hop to the next enclosure and get out of hand to where you've got the whole sites on fire. So losing one battery connex, if you will, one enclosure isn't near as significant as losing a whole facility. So the Moss Landing site was one of the biggest, maybe in the world, at least in the United States and, and what California is doing. They're leading the industry in energy storage and kind of pushing the envelope on the renewable tactics and efforts that they're doing there. Virginia's is falling in line, but we're taking the lessons learned from what the industry is telling us. And we're trying to improve safety features and measures for the benefit of everybody. First responders being those initially in mind
0: so the grid transformation and storage act of 2018 is what enabled dominion to get these battery storage projects in the pipeline we're having a lot of lessons learned from doing these projects hasn't been around that long but utilities and companies all across the country are making very lofty goals of 2050 2035 targets for net zero where do you see some other things playing into helping reach those goals other than battery storage
1: the state of virginia and dominion both have carbon-free or net zero goals to those 2045-2050 timelines you talk about. The Virginia Clean Economy Act has laid out a pathway for Dominion for 2.7 gigawatts of energy storage, 15 gigawatts of solar, 5.2 gigawatts of offshore wind. So it's the combination of all those things that are get us uh, say collectively us the industry and global industry you talk about on some of your other podcasts is really what we're trying to solve you can't do it overnight So we have to start somewhere and those are lofty goals. But I think if you get people focused on them, you'll be surprised at how quick they can be attained. And Dominion's put a focus on it. Like I said, right when I joined the company in just four years, we've got 16 megawatts stood up and in operation. And we have plans to attack that 2.7 gigawatts here over the next 13 years. And we're going to achieve it.
0: Well, I think I just saw a report come out today on all the utilities across the U.S., uh, and they were grading them on how fast they're decarbonizing. And I believe the menu came in at like number five on a list of 40 utilities. So I thought found that pretty interesting. That's good. Yeah. So Eric, usually at the end of the podcast, we like to ask our guests if they have any recommendations for anyone that's interested in coming into the energy industry. This could be a recent high school or college graduate. It could be somebody in the industry looking to make a pivot or career change. You got any advice to offer?
1: Yeah, sure. I mentioned I got my start in the construction industry as an intern and Dominion has a strong internship program. And I think you'll see a lot of that within my project construction group on the renewable space. Uh, Hired a summer intern and asked him this past summer what was one of the things that drew him to Dominion, and it was the clean energy approach. So people are aware of it. They see what Dominion's doing. They want to be a part of it. So I think, you know, looking for an internship opportunity or co op opportunity is definitely something I would recommend. And I was also interested to see that you're starting to see energy engineering as a major in colleges these days. That wasn't something that was even on the table for me when I was going through school. So it just goes to further prove the transformation that we're making as a country and as an economy to kind of put more focus on clean energy and how we're solving this problem for the benefit of all.
0: Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Well, I know you got your hands full there over at Dominion, managing these projects, but we really appreciate you coming down and joining us on the Energy Sense podcast today.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me and look forward to what we move forward with at Dominion and otherwise. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening today. That wraps it up for us. I'm Chris Rawlings, Chief Energy Officer at Bowerbird Energy. Thanks so much for listening to the Energy Sense podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss our latest episodes and share with a friend. Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.